You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, a great day, Easter Sunday. It's a day of rejoicing as we contemplate the breathtakingly good news that Jesus has risen from the dead. But it's not only a day of rejoicing, it's a day of anticipation as well. For those who believe the gospel, for those who believe that Jesus died for their sins, his resurrection is an indication that God accepted his sacrifice for sin. God has forgiven us and will one day resurrect our own broken and imperfect Bodies to live in a world that has been made new and is restored to its original state of perfection as it was as God created the universe. We don't tend to think about that. We tend to think about, I need to do everything I can to keep looking good as long as I can. I want to stay healthy. And then somebody puts like ham biscuits or something in front of you and it's a, it's a challenge. But, but we want to look good. We want to stay as healthy as we can for as long as we can. And we're not thinking too much about the hope of the resurrection. Most people in the world think, I hope there's something better than this. Well, Jesus' resurrection says there absolutely is something better than this. There's no way for our minds to fully comprehend what will be when the hope of the resurrection is realized. And we stand before the Lord perfect. We do have a good enough idea, though, that we can rejoice. We believe this to be true because we believe the gospel that's that's presented in Scripture. We believe this to be God's word. It's our heart for the entire world to know the good news that Jesus died for sinners and and he was raised for their justification. So it's our privilege to partner with men and women around the world as they share this good news. We have had the blessing of having the Hunzikers here for quite a long time now. Well, it's, it's not been that long, but it just seems like yesterday when they got here. But friends of Joe and Stefania's and Aaron and Mattia and Joya are here with us. Stefano and Mary, I've already given my good attempt at their names. And they're going to come on up. You guys come on up. And we want to talk just a little bit with you. These guys are our prayer focus today. We typically do this before the offering, but here you go. There are a couple of microphones right there. Stefano looks like the kind of guy that would just drop it after we're done. So if he does, somebody come up and and get it. So Stefano and Mary, it's been great to get to know you guys a little bit. But actually, I've known you for a while, Stefano. I've seen you a time or two in Italy and some of others of you have uh, known Stefano in Italy. And so I want to ask you both. Uh, how you came to Christ. Now, remember, this is a second language for both of these guys. But uh, so we've talked about this a little bit last night. Mary, let me just start with you. Tell us how the Lord brought you to himself. Did you grow up in a Christian home? Yeah, I grew up in a Christian family. And my parents are Filipino. Obviously, I don't look like Italian. Um, and, but I was so born in Italy. Italian and Filipino. Yes, yes oh, obviously. So, yeah, but I was born in an in a Italian culture. I mean, so, but I, I, I attended a Filipino church where I grew up, and at nine years old, the um, Lord saved me. Wow. 
And then so I started serving the church, um, the Lord in the church. And then I came to know Youth for Christ Italia, which is 10 years old here uh, in Italy, but here is, I think, yes. 60 years old, I don't know. And um, that, then I served Lord uh, among teenagers and refugees. So, uh, yeah, that's it. And, and you're doing some of that now. I want to hear about that in just a moment. Stefano, what about you? Tell us about, in, in, a, in a country that is less than 1% evangelical, 1% believe the gospel as we preach it, here, how did you come to know Christ? First, we want to thank you for this privilege and opportunity to share. Well, um, <clears throat> my parents became believers just a few years before that I was born. And um, then, so I was born in a Christian family, raised as Christians, and uh, I attended camps in Isola since I was a little kid. And uh, when I was 12 years old, uh, God saved me uh, in a camp. At Isola. Yeah, at Isola. Yeah. So Isola, it's in my life since I was a kid. And that's how it happened. And, and, and then you spent some time then, in Isola, yeah, didn't you? Actually, when I became a believer, I was very young, 12, as I said. Then when I was a teenager, I just uh, became rebellious. And I wanted to have my own space, freedom. And I didn't talk with my dad for a while, a year maybe. Uh, I had many bad be behaviors <clears throat> since when I was uh, till when I was 16 um, my dad uh, spoke to me it was strange to begin because as I said we didn't talk and uh, he told me but why because Isola was sending you know newsletter and uh, they were looking for people to work the new building they were building building a new building and uh, so my dad called Joe, uh, telling, uh, telling, telling him about me. <clears throat> I didn't have all the requirements to, go, uh, to work in a camp. But <laughs> I don't know why, and I think that he doesn't know why as well. But <laughs> he said yes. Um, and as I said, I became a believer in Isola. Camps left many good memories in my mind, so I wanted to see that place again that's why I said yes. I arrived in Isola to stay one week, and then I left five years later. But. Well, let me ask you just a moment about that. But I, for those of you who have not been here before, I'm sorry I didn't tell you. Isola is a, it's a camp. It's a Christian camp in central Italy. It's about two hours east and just a, maybe a tad north of Rome. But it's beautiful. It's in the Apennine Mountains, it's a beautiful place. Several of our folks here have, have been there. And so what did you, what happened to you at Isola? Did, did, how did the Lord uh, just prepare you? And what, what is your heart for service now for mm -hmm. both of you? What, what kind of work are you doing for the Lord now? Um, <clears throat> when I arrived in Isola, as I said, I was a believer, uh, but I was just lost. Uh, so God, the beginning, showed me that I had to, because I left school. Well, God showed me that uh, I have to uh, work out uh, you know, my personal life. So I start to think that I had to go back to school and uh, things like that. And then step by step, and so we can say that God has his own time. So he, do it, he, yes, did, he, it, he did it uh, in the right moments. And step by step, he led me into the thought that uh, my spiritual life uh, and, uh, it had to change and he woke me up. Uh, so 
changed me. And after five years arriving one way, I left in another way. That's what God does in our life. This is just one of the, to me, the, one of the beautiful things about the body of Christ worldwide, how we say things to one another that we don't typically hear in our own language or culture or in any particular way. And you said God is on time. Just think about that. God is on time in your life. What are you guys doing now? You're both serving the Lord at, while you're earning money in other ways as well. Mm-hmm. First, we're going to get married. Yes. <laughs> in two months, in June, we're going to get married. That's serving the Lord, hey? <laughs> but yeah, um, now, at the moment, we're living in Bologna, which is up north to Italy, uh, three hours from the camp, three hours and a half. And we're living there. We're attending a church there, same church. Um, I'm involved in an internship program where we study theology. They prepare us, they train us for church planting or serving in a church. Um, and uh, we're involved in practical ministries and we're involved in media ministries. Uh, and then I personally work half a week. I'm in an internship program. And the rest of the time I work for, as a graphic designer for Isola and X29. So we're familiar with a lot of these uh, organizations that you guys are connected with, and it's quite a blessing that we've had it for so long. And Mary just struck me when she says 10 years Youth for Christ has been in Italy. Mary, you're doing some interesting things for the Lord now. Yeah, I'm serving the Lord um, with media. I'm using media uh, to reach young people in, uh, in, in Italy, specifically in Bologna where I live. But um, actually, in uh, five days, we'll, we're going to have the first conference, Youth for Christ conference in Italy, in, uh, in a new city. So we're like planning Youth for Christ centers all, all over Italy. And I'm also serving the Lord through refugees, because in, our, in my city, there are a lot of uh, African, North African uh, refugees, and there are 300 people there. And um, yeah, and I, I really want to see them saved, because... I feel like I was a refugee when, when uh, my parents came, and so I felt like a refugee before. So that's that's my heart. Yeah, I would like to serve, keep serving the Lord. Uh, but I'm I'm actually a volunteer for now. Um, I graduated in November as a social educator, and I would like to have a, to find a job. But I would love to go full time for the Lord if it's possible. Well, that's going to be our prayer, that these guys are able to go full-time for the Lord. I'm grateful for the service that they're rendering to the Lord, even as they earn money in other ways right now. Thank you guys so much for sharing with Thank us you. this morning, and we want to partner with them. Give a hand for <laughs> Stefano. Thank you. So uh, Stefano and Mary, along with Joe and Stefania, if you guys would, at, after the service, go to the back or at, at our last song so that folks can get to know you uh, a little bit better. I admire so much anyone who speaks a second language, just a second language, but especially to try to get all of that worked out in your head and to communicate during uh, a, a moment like that. Thank you so much, guys. And there's... There's so much hope for me for the nation of Italy as I talk with these guys. I've been over there. I've seen it. The Gospel Coalition, several of us, Allison and Ricky uh, and Joe and Stefania, were all there along with Stefano and Mary. 
There was a meeting for people who are interested in Italy. And there's just a heart for God doing things in Europe. It's a hard, hard ground, as you can imagine. So pray for them uh, as they serve the Lord there. I'm very glad you're able to be here on Easter. Easter is one of the favorite Sundays for, for most pastors. I mean, you can't, how can you not love Easter? Not only because of the joy associated with this day, but also because of the privilege to preach about the resurrection. And typically, uh, pastors will preach from the gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection or 1 Corinthians 15, and I've used all of those texts along the way. Uh, but I have sensed this week from the Lord, probably because of just the difficulty that many of our folks are facing. It began last week, last Sunday, when I got a text from Phil Wilson. His wife, Pat, tragically lost her only grandchild, granddaughter, seven, eight-year-old granddaughter in an accident. And then talking with Lisa Pelton and so many of you who have lost people in the, in, in the last um, many uh, months, this phrase kept coming to my mind, the hope of the resurrection. We need the hope of the resurrection. One day, think about it, all the pain of disease, and there's so much pain associated with disease, the trauma of crime and abuse, by the way, sex trafficking is another big thing on Mary's heart in particular in Italy where it is so much more easily seen than it would be here. We know what's going on around us, but we don't see it in our everyday lives. All the trauma of crime and abuse, all the hurt from broken relationships, all the ills of this life will be forever in the past. That's part of the hope of the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection and our own resurrection at the end of the age. Our text today is Romans 8, verses 18 to 25. You won't find the phrase, the hope of the resurrection in this text. You won't even find the term resurrection in this text. But the hope of the resurrection permeates the passage. See if you can make the connection as we read our text. And it is our custom here at Grace to stand as the word is being read. So if you would, please stand for the reading of Scripture. Romans 8, verses 18 to 25. For I consider, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God at the resurrection. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God when... The children of God are resurrected and everything is right. Then everything is right with all creation. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. Two or three of you ladies are close. I'm so sorry to read this text. In the pains of childbirth until now. And now, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit... Groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, 
the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray. Father, we all acknowledge this world is a mess. We are here today because we want to make some sense of the, of the world. We're here because we want to find some hope for our lives. We're here because we think it's the right thing to do, <clears throat> at least on this day. But Lord, you have designed that we be here, even as we heard Stefano and Mary talk about Coming to Christ, it's very evident that you drew them to yourself. And you've brought us all here for a reason this morning. And I pray that you would open our hearts and fill it with whatever it is that we need. And all of us need hope. The hope of the resurrection. And we pray that you would cause us to find it here in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and be seated. There are lots and lots of truths to be gleaned from this passage. Can't get to all of it. We're going to focus on three. Beginning with, suffering is the result of sin, but it does not define who we are or who we will be in Christ. Now, I don't mean this in a 21st century kind of way. I mean, well, I do mean that suffering is part of who we are, but it doesn't have to define us. I just don't mean it the way that so many would say it today. When people say, I'm not going to allow my suffering to define me. It's not that they're thinking about looking to the Lord to help them with that suffering. They're looking for another place within their souls that will give them meaning or give them courage to face whatever it is that they have. But suffering is not defining for a believer. Now, it's a part of of, of This world because of sin. It's a mark of the fall. Suffering has its roots in who we were without Christ. The suffering of all creation, in fact, is tied to Adam's sin. When Adam fell, not only did he take all humanity with him. All of us are born as children of Adam and Eve. And we carry the sin that came into the world when they disobeyed God. Not only did he take all humanity with him, but he took creation down as well. Nature rages and works against itself as well as against us. It groans, as Paul says in his text, in the text. Not long after we were married, Allison and I were married, she said, you know, I'd like to get some, some bird feeders and put them right outside the, the, the breakfast nook that we have. I said, okay, without a great deal of enthusiasm. In fact, it was somewhere probably between, okay, and, uh, oh, I didn't know they were giving bird seed away in the stores these days, you know. (laughs) I'm thinking, really? We're going to do this? It's just going to be messy. Look, as it turns out, as you can imagine, there is no way to tell you of the of the enjoyment, the pleasure that I get sitting at the breakfast table this morning, watching birds from all over, the cardinals and 
and, <clears throat> and robins and goldfinches and all other kinds of birds. But when you see them eating, you never get to enjoy it for too long because they're always looking around. I mean, birds, they're not friendly to each other. You know, they're running each other off and two or three of them are eating together and you think, oh, well, that's cool. And then one of them runs over there and runs the others off, you know. And they're constantly looking, and I don't know exactly what it is, what the signal is, but all of a sudden, man, they're out of there. Because here comes another bird. I've tried to discern the pecking order, and I always root for the little guy, but there is no bird that will not run another bird off. <laughs> now, the constant jockeying for food ultimately seems not to have serious consequences. I've never seen a bird, you know, killed or attacked or anything like that. When the neighbor's cat's around, it's a more serious it's kind of a, a, a atmosphere there. But, but, but just think about how much more difficult it is for animals out in the wild, especially those that are low on the food chain. It is a constant sense of fear. Life consists of trying to find food and trying not to be food for animals. And even in the human race, we're so much more evil than we are aware. I remember reading Chuck Colson uh, talking about a friend of his who had been a prisoner of war in Vietnam, and I think he was a dentist. And he said he was in a, in a prison cell, a very small prison cell that were crammed in this 12 by 12 cell. And, and there was just like an inch between the cots. And he said, these men who... Oh, in America were just the finest, most upstanding people you can imagine. All different walks of life. And the kindest, most generous hearted people would stay up all night just to move their cot a quarter of an inch just to get space. We have no idea of the evil that resides within us and that is waiting to come out if the circumstances are right. Now we do our best to tamp it down. <clears throat> But we need hope. We need deliverance, not only from all of the pain that's around us, but from that which is within us. Just think about your actions, your thoughts, your attitudes. This past week, holy week, for goodness sake. Well, nobody's perfect. Unfortunately, God requires perfection in order for us to enter into heaven, to stand before him. Fortunately, Jesus was perfect. And when he died on the cross, he exchanged his righteousness for your sin. And when you admit you confess your sin before him, not trying to say, well, Lord, I haven't been as good as I wanted to be. I'm, I'm sorry I haven't. I failed you. No, when you say I am a sinner without hope apart from Jesus' death on the cross for me. And then you believe that Jesus died for you. You acknowledge that. From that moment, you are eternally united with him. If you can never remember a time when you did not trust the Lord, all the better. I am grateful for those of you who say, well, I, I can't say like Stefano and Mary what particular point I received Jesus or I, he came into my life. I, I've just always grown up believing Jesus. I am grateful for that. I didn't used to have a category for it, but I do now. As is always the case, um, 
as is often the case on Sunday morning, I look at the wrong place on the page, so I didn't mean to say that. (laughs) The focus of our second point. Our hope is entirely tied to Jesus. That's not good news. That is exceedingly great news that is truly beyond comprehension. Look, if death is the result of sin, all that is evil in the world is the result of sin, the sin, the pain, the disease, even taxes we'd have to say on this particular weekend. It's all the result of the fall. But if you're in Jesus, your identity is no longer in your fallen nature, although it can exert itself at any possible moment. The first bit of this great news is that our salvation is not dependent upon us. All the things that we've struggled with this past week, you can't be good enough to get into heaven. And that's okay because Jesus died for you and he's worthy for you to follow for the rest of your life. As is always the case, that's where I was jumped ahead a while ago. Whenever we pick up a book in the middle of a, of a text uh, or pick up a text in the middle of a book in the New Testament or the Old Testament alike, like we've done in Romans 8, it's just part of a larger point. It's part of a larger argument. And it is especially so with Romans. If you find yourself in April thinking, you know, I wish I had committed at the first of the year to read through the Bible this year. I know a lot of people who are doing it. Can I just make a suggestion that you take the rest of this year and just immerse yourself in the truth that is in the book of Romans? If you have a good study Bible, and I always recommend the ESV, English Standard Version Study Bible, um, but, but know that there are lots of other good study Bibles as well. If you have a good study Bible, read through the introductory notes, introductory notes, and then get an idea of the flow that the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Rome has. Just sort of sense where he's going with it. After you've done that, in addition to your study Bible notes, work your way through this book with a commentary. Read through it several times, maybe in different translations, and then a commentary. When I suggest Kent Hughes' commentary, Romans, all of the home group leaders will say anything by Kent Hughes is worth reading. And you're not going to feel like you're in over your head. You can get a, a great deal from this commentary. I only have one request if you take me up on this challenge to read through Romans and spend time in Romans the rest of this year. Don't hate me when you get to Romans 9 through 11. Those are tough chapters, but they are rich. We've been in Romans 10 just recently. The subtitle of Hughes' commentary is Righteousness from Heaven. Exactly, that's the point, isn't it? Righteousness from Heaven. Our righteousness is wrapped up in Jesus. Then, just as a, as a review, this is a crazy thing to do on, on Sunday morning, but I'll, it all works together on Easter Sunday morning is what I meant to say. But just as a review, the first three chapters of Romans are almost entirely talking about how sin brought death in the world and how all of us are without excuse, the religious and the non-religious alike, regardless of our relationship with church or with any kind of religious thoughts, we are all sinful and we're in big trouble. 
Late in Romans 3, Paul speaks about Jesus' great sacrifice and the truth that his blood was a propitiation for our sin. Propitiation is a big word. It just simply means satisfaction. As in, when God looked at Jesus' death on the cross, taken our place, and God poured out his wrath on Jesus instead of us, his wrath was satisfied. You can't think of how important that is until you first know how much you need some sacrifice because of your sin. The wrath of God is directed to you, Romans 1.18 says. But then in verses 21 to 26 of chapter 3, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. John Stott says that the wrath of God was exhausted on Jesus. I love that thought. It's a biblical thought. He has no more wrath for you. I've known people whose father has disciplined them. And an hour later, they're happy. And the mother says, don't let your dad see you like that. He's still not over his anger with you. You've known that situation. You do something wrong and man, you pay for it for a long time from another person. When Jesus, when God poured out his wrath on Jesus at the cross, that was it. There's no more left for you. That'll make you want to weep. I almost did as I was writing these words thinking about it. Romans 4 reminds us that all along, all through history, people have been saved by faith, not by good works including Abraham. Always it's belief in the promises of God that saves people. And the promise for us since the cross and resurrection is belief that Jesus died in our place. Justification is so much more than what I'm about to say, but it's at least this, and a simple way to understand it is that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, it's just as if I never sinned. Look, I, I, I know what happens on this day. I know so many people come to hear from God on this day. And I just want to say to you, if you've tried your best to be a good person and hope that God is going to let you in, you're never going to be good enough. But when you believe that Jesus took your place, you're justified. It's just as if you never sinned. Don't leave today. We're not going to have an invitation to come forward. But do not leave this day without saying, Oh God, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm so grateful that you sent Jesus to die for me. And I believe that he took my place. Dear Lord, save me. Don't leave without saying that in your heart. And I would love it if you would come and tell me. I already had one young lady come this morning and say, great news, I asked Jesus into my heart. I accepted Jesus into my heart. I would love to hear it from someone else on this day. Romans 4 tells us that, tells us that it's believing that saves us. It's faith in Christ. God saves us, but he uses our faith. So Romans 4 also tells us at the end what I've been saying all along, that resurrection was like God's stamp of approval on Jesus' death. 
Romans 5 informs us that there are only two families on the earth. Those who belong to Adam, which is all of us, and those who have been taken out of Adam's family and adopted into Jesus' family. Romans 6 teaches us that all who belong to Jesus have been united with him in his death and his resurrection. This is where it's all coming. It all comes together. Romans 6, we're united with him. When he was crucified, it's like we died. When he was raised, it was like we were raised. And his resurrection promises that one day we will be resurrected. Romans 7 reminds us that even though we're now in Christ, we took a part of Adam with us. He still lives in us. And he will until the day we die or until Jesus returns. And because we still live in this broken world, we feel the effects, the overall effect of sin on creation in our own lives, our own hearts, and our own plans so often broken apart. We suffer and will suffer until Jesus returns and our bodies are resurrected and made completely new. But that is the hope that we have in Jesus. That's the incredible news of Romans 8. Our hope is not that this life will get better, although, thank the Lord, it often does. Our hope, well, that's the point of the last thing we'll think about this morning. Putting our hope in the right place will go a long way toward having a peaceful heart. Can I ask you a question? How difficult is life for you right now? You know what? I bet some of you were thinking, maybe you wouldn't have phrased it this way, but when I say it, you'll say, that's right. For some of you, it's probably the worst it's ever been. Maybe not this exact moment, but just you are living in the most difficult time of your life. And even if it's not that time for you, I'm going to guess that some of you recall when I ask how difficult is life for you, it conjures up memories of that moment that was the worst of your life. How in the world in a world, in a land where everything is supposed to go right and we're surprised when it goes badly. And in a world where when, when things are difficult for you, somebody is questioning whether you really believe Jesus at the level you should. Because if we had faith, he would deliver us from all these problems. That's nonsense. But it's what a lot of people think. And it's difficult when people are accusing you of really not loving Jesus because it's, and it's evidenced by bad things happening in your life. How can we, in that kind of a place, how can we maintain our sanity and find hope? Know this, for starters. Jesus had the worst day that anybody in this world ever experienced. Now, believe it or not, there are probably people who who died a more painful death than Jesus' crucifixion, certainly a more prolonged death in his crucifixion. It was horrible beyond imagination. But they weren't bearing the sins of the world as they died. The wrath of God was not being poured out on them. The one with whom that person had been in perfect fellowship from the beginning, from 
before creation, from eternity past, which we can't even get our heads around, now turned his back as he poured out his wrath on the sin of men as it was taken upon himself by Jesus. But again, from Romans 6, when Jesus died, you died. When he was raised from the dead, you were raised to walk in newness of life, both Romans 6 and Colossians 3 tell us. Paul said in our text that he supposes the sufferings of this world are not to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. But many who study the Greek think that that preposition too should be in. As so I, I, I am going to say, Paul was saying, that the sufferings of this life are not to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. To us, for us, in us. It's all more than we can think about. It's like he's saying the sufferings of this world may be Register a minus three or a minus five or a minus nine in your life. The glory that will be revealed registers 20 gazillion and it just keeps on going, you know, like the national debt. You know, it's one of those like. <laughs> and it just never ends. And I am convinced of this. The level of your suffering here, God is a symmetrical God. It's going to be pretty amazing on the other side. Peltons, this is going to be pretty amazing for you guys. I, I tease Lisa and tell her she's the closest thing to Job we've got. She says she's going to show up in sackcloth and ashes one day. These guys suffer. The Moody's have suffered for years and years and years. So many of you have lost people that were dear to you. Maybe everything wasn't said that needed to be said. Or you just, it just happened too quickly. Some of you are struggling with cancer right now. Life is hard. But what's going to happen on the other end is going to be an equally greater, far greater measure than the sufferings. They're not to even be compared to what's coming. Have you ever noticed in Scripture how suffering and glory are often paired together? Why is that? Well, we'll fully know at the resurrection of our bodies. Look, as bad as any of us have it, none of our suffering compares to what the Apostle Paul went through. His was even greater than any of us. But Paul truly believed that one day the suffering would be more than worth it. And that's always, it's always best to trust God in one's current distress. So brothers and sisters, as I've said before recently, and I say it again, and it wouldn't be too much to say it every Sunday. This is not the end of the story. This life is not the end of the story. When Jesus returns... Our bodies will be resurrected if we've moved on. Or our bodies will be changed in an instant. Romans 8.19 says that all creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And in the Phillips translation, isn't this beautiful? The whole creation is on tiptoes to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own.
Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. His resurrection assures that we will be resurrected along with him and we will be ushered into glory and eternal life. So this morning as we close in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, in fact, we want to read these beautiful verses at the very end of the chapter, Romans 8, 31 through 39. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will, we, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I have to stop for those of you who are here Friday night uh, for just a beautiful, beautiful Good Friday service. Very, I think we were all uh, struck by the sacrifice that Jesus made on that night. But Jesus, on his way to the cross, when the women were weeping for him, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for your children. God is going to bring judgment. And then he said, If these things are done when the wood is green, what will it be when the wood is dry? And essentially, Jesus was saying this, If God (coughs) does not spare me, (coughs) and he allows this to happen to me, what kind of judgment is he going to bring? On those who reject me. Now look at this. Absolute reverse. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. But gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him. Graciously give us all things. For those on one side of the cross. It's judgment. For those who hide behind the cross. It is blessing beyond imagination. Because of what was done to Jesus that day. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding or praying for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. That's our lot in this life. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, There's not a one of us who would look out and say, you know, the world seems to be in pretty good shape. Uh, We might here and there say, I'm in a good place right now. Thank you for that. But Lord, it's a broken and desperate world. 
And I think many of us are convinced for believers it's going to get much more desperate in the days ahead. But Lord, when believers suffer, everyone's going to suffer. And we need hope. Not the kind of hope that we so desperately want sometimes that things will get better in this life. And it's not wrong to want that. It's not wrong to pray for that. But the hope that we are promised in Scripture is the hope of the resurrection. Thank you for this day when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection and we look forward to the day when we live with you at the revealing of the sons of God. In Jesus' name, we pray all of these things. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. May the God of peace, who raised from the dead, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, give us everything that we need to do his will. The blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the risen Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be with us now as witnesses of the risen Lord. This week, in that light, in this time of our risen Savior, go in peace. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.